Okay, you may be seated. All right, you guys can open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start reading from verse 12. Clifton's going to be preaching tonight, um, verse 20 and 21. Um, so we'll read from 12 to, to 21. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Okay, let's pray, and then we'll get into uh, Colossians 3. Father, thank you again so much for this time. Uh, there is nothing that we can do um, to make our lives better, to, um, to understand you, um, to be able to live into reality unless you work in us. So we need your grace. We need the power of your Holy Spirit to um, wake us up, um, to open our eyes to the blindness of our own brokenness and sin. And we need you to reveal to us um, how um, amazing is your love and your grace for us through Jesus Christ. So even as we um, talk about a command today, um, what is a very difficult uh, command, Lord, we just pray that you would um, work in our hearts to help us believe these truths, that we might love you and serve you and be with you for eternity. Um, we know that that is not because of our obedience, Lord. It is only by the blood of your son, Christ, um, that we are saved. But as a result of our salvation, Lord, we want to honor you, and therefore we want to obey. So please help us to do that, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Raise your hand if you like flying like flying on a plane. So not just, <laughs> Luke with two hands. So not just like, oh, I'm pumped to like go where I'm going, but who likes like actually sitting on the plane? Like raise your hand. Okay, yeah. So who thinks that like sitting on a plane is like a death trap and it's like your least favorite? Yes, <laughs> Amy immediately. <laughs> yeah, okay, guys, some, yes. So I am part of the former group. I am someone who likes genuinely love sitting on a plane. I like the random conversation I get to have. I like the um, opportunity to just kind of read and be quiet, unless there's like a baby who's crying on the plane. Um, 
Ashley has told me that she likes it because it's the only time she would ever like choose to watch a movie because there's literally nothing else to do. Um, but there's another reason that I really like flying. And the reason is when you take off, or maybe a couple minutes after you take off, and a couple minutes before you touch it down, and you look out the window, and you get that like thousand foot view of the city that you're in. You know that feeling when you get to look down and you see like all the buildings, you get to see like if there's mountains, where it is in relation to the ocean, you just see where everything is. Now I was just on a plane this week and when we were touching down in LA, when we were returning, um, there was a little girl and her mom beside me and there was a kind of funny interaction that I saw between them. Um, the little girl was asking her mom as they were coming into LA what all these buildings were. So she's like, mom, what building is that? Look over there. And her mom's like, oh, that's like that building. And then she's like, oh, what building is that? And uh, she's like, oh, I actually don't know that building. There's so many buildings. And like, as she's asking more buildings, like the bigness and the massiveness of LA is just becoming like more real in her head. And it finally gets to this point where she just looks exhausted. And she's like, oh my goodness, mom, it's so big. How does anyone know where to get anywhere? And I was just thinking like Google Maps. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was interesting her saying that. And the reason I was thinking that, like the first thought I had in my head is like, I wonder how many people think that way about the Bible. Like there's so many things and so many details. Like how do we figure anything out? Because there's so much stuff. And I was also thinking that I hope, I hope that that's not your reaction as we're going through Colossians. Because as we've been going through Colossians, we do have a lot of different details, and we're getting into a lot of beautiful truths. But we want you to be able to um, know that you're going to forget a lot of things that we've gone through in Colossians, but there's some things, the foundational things, the starting things, that we don't want you to forget at all, because they're really important. They absolutely revolutionarily change your life, and if you start with them, everything else can come into place. And Paul wanted that desperately for the Colossians, and that's why he wrote the letter that we're going through to them. And that's why, because it was uh, written under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit, it was given for us, too, to help us understand what it means to be a Christian. So even as Paul uh, begins his letter, he's explaining to the Colossians, I love you, I care about your souls, I've been praying for you, all of these things, and there are some foundational things I need you to know. And the very first thing he goes to is Christ. You have to know Christ. You have to have a big, glorious, marvelous view of Christ. And more than that, Christ, after seeing how amazing and big he is, he needs to be the center of your life. And if he's not the center of your life, it can be incredibly dangerous. And that, was, that danger was actually coming to the Colossians because of the threat of false teaching. People were coming in and telling them, you could be good, you could be religious, you could please God, and you don't need to make Christ a big deal. And that is incredibly dangerous, and that is how your life and religion and living a good life goes completely out the window. When Christ is gone, you have absolutely nothing. So Paul is trying to explain over and over the centrality of Christ and how he changes everything. And today, as we get a little bit closer to the end of chapter 3, I'm starting to wonder if Paul is thinking the same thing that the little girl on the plane that I was on was also thinking. There's a lot of information about Christ, and there's a lot of details about how to live a Christ-centered life in the church, but will the people 
be able to apply this to their daily life? Can they take this information and can they put it into the situation where they are and actually live a, a life for Christ? Live today for Christ and when it gets to tomorrow, to live tomorrow for Christ. And because he cares that so much, he gives really basic and specific commands about your role in the family. Paul isn't just kind of saying, okay, let's just keep things in order. Let's make sure every um, duck is in a row here. Paul cares about Christ coming to the home and helping you apply being a Christian, being in love with Christ, living a life for Christ based on where you are right now. That's why last a uh, couple weeks ago we covered marriage because that's the start of the family. There are husbands who are Christians and wives who are Christians and they need to know what a life for Christ looks like as a husband and as a wife. And then when we get today, Paul's going to get in our kitchen. When we get to today, Paul's going to get in our face and he's going to ask us the command that most, is most specific to us right now. And that's Paul telling us how to be children, how to be obedient children. If you want to know what everything today is going to be about, it's this. Obey your parents to please the Lord. Very straightforward. Now, I want to go through details about what that looks like, but it's very simple. At the core, obey your parents to please the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, I think there are three questions you have to answer to get through that. The first two are very simple and very straightforward. And the third one is, will we'll get specific? So this is the first question you have to ask. What is a child? Very straightforward. What is a child? It's not tiny people in the household. It's not those people that came from a man and a woman. What we are talking about, what a child is, is someone under the authority of the father someone under the authority of the father. I say father because the next command is talking about fathers as the head of the household, but you can be a little less specific and you can talk about parents. Under, there are children who are under authority. When they come into this world, they have a leader and authority above them, and that is a God-ordained relationship, and that's really important. But that is actually talking about who is a child, but not necessarily what is a child. What is the essence of what it means to be a child? And I was listening to a pastor this week, and there are two things that are essential to understanding what a child is. And the Bible says there are two things. Children are sinful, and children are foolish. Children are sinful, and children are foolish. Psalm chapter 51 verse 5 says, this is David speaking, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, Paul isn't talking about his mom was in a sinful relationship and that's how he came to be. What he's talking about is that from the moment I was born, I was in rebellion against God and the pattern for my life was not obeying God. Disobedience is my natural state. That's really important. But it's not just that children are sinful. Children are also foolish. This is Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Now, because a child is not born with any knowledge, they have to learn everything. And that means basically for a long period of time, most of the learning that they have is going to be failing and falling down. And that's not just all because of sin. That's just because of the stage of development that they begin life at. Every child learns right and wrong because they're weak, irrational, unskilled. They're only beginning to be taught. 
They're hasty and they're adventurous, and all of this is before they understand their own sin and before they understand wherever I am on the page here, and before they understand that they're in danger. Everywhere around them is danger. Now listen, children are sinful, children are foolish, and that is not the Bible insulting us, okay? This is not just gonna get in your face, I'm gonna make you feel bad. This is about explaining God's pattern and plan for us at the very, starting from the very beginning. And you're not gonna understand any of the good stuff before you start with that stuff because that's the beginning of reality. That is who we are. But this is the second thing. This is the second thing you have to know about what a child is. God deeply cares about children. God deeply cares about children. Jesus said in Luke 18, 16, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. God deeply cares about children. And you can see he cares because Jesus there is literally talking about everything we're talking about in Colossians. We are talking about this kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ. And Christ himself is inviting children there. That means two things. One, God has a plan for children because he cares about them. And number two, Christ is essential to that plan. So if you forget many, many things in this sermon, just remember this one thing. God cares about you as a child, that you have a parent, you were born from someone. God has a plan for you because he cares about you. Okay, at the, at the foundational level, even though we're sinful, even though we're foolish, God has a plan for us because he deeply cares about us. And Paul today basically brings all of that plan down into one command. All of that plan is in one command, which is this. Children, obey your parents. So that's what a child is. Now we need to understand what is obedience. I think all of you on some level understand what obedience is, but if you want to be specific, the word obey is two words in Greek that are put together, and those words are listen under, listen under. Someone else described it more thoroughly. It says to act under the authority of somebody else speaking to you, and here that somebody else is specific. It's a parent, your parents. It means I am really listening to another person who is giving me an order or a charge. I am attentively listening so that I can be fully compliant. Okay, that's kind of important. I am attentively listening so I can be fully compliant. Okay, so we're going to get into what that talks about. But basically, we have a straightforward understanding of a command. God has a plan for my life which is for me to obey my parents. That could be the end of the sermon, and it's not. And there's an obvious reason why, okay? And the reason is because that's hard, okay? That is hard. There is no assumption, I think, that that is hard, and that's why we're getting this later in Colossians rather than earlier. But the reality is, if you understand how amazing Christ is, and you understand how amazing it is to be in his kingdom, and you know you are a child, you're going to go back to those truths constantly as motivation to actually obey this command. That's the reality. If you are a Christian and you love Christ, you are going to want to obey this command. And that means we need to get a little more specific. So as I've been thinking about this for a couple months, I was trying to think of condensing some of these down based on things you guys talk about as far as I can understand. And I think I have at least five applications, okay? And this is how. This is the third question. How do I obey? As a child who loves Christ, 
How do I obey my parents? Because I understand it's hard. Okay, this is the first one. Application number one, honor Christ by obeying from the heart. Honor Christ by obeying from the heart. Obedience is a hard issue because obedience is a heart issue. Does that make sense? Obedience is a hard issue because obedience is a heart issue. Obedience is a difficult thing to do because it gets down to the very deepest place of us and it makes us fight our sin. It makes us fight our tendency to want to be our own authority. Last week I told you guys um, I was reading a comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes, and I told you guys a comic strip I had read. I read another one that same time and it was good enough that I, it was just stuck in my head this week. There's a scene, there's four panels, and three of the panels is Calvin struggling against his mom as she drags him up the stairs to put him in the bath. So he's just like screaming and yelling for three panels. And then the last panel is Calvin sitting in the tub, looking super happy with a big smile on his face in the tub, and they see, uh, the thought bubble says, they can make me do it, but they can't make me do it with dignity. And that was the whole thing. But I was laughing at that because that actually makes perfect sense. The whole point that Calvin is getting at is there's a kind of joy in rebellion. And that is totally who we are. We have a kind of pride, a kind of pleasure in disobedience, stubbornness, and rebellion, even if nobody sees it, even if it's in the heart. And there's a reason for that, and it's because we want our independence. If we find the smallest way, even in sin, to get our own independence, we feel good. And that's not a good thing. It is good to want to be independent. It is good to want to be responsible. But when it comes at the cost of sin, it is proving to us how much we need Jesus. And that means proving to us that we need to follow his plan. And he explains that God knows what's going on in your heart. God understands if your obedience is surface level or deep down in your heart, you genuinely want to obey your parents. This is a quote from a pastor named uh, Alistair Begg. He said this, Real obedience is not made clear merely by our actions. It is displayed in a far more subtle way in our attitudes. Real obedience demands absolute honesty. Real obedience demands open communication. Real obedience is prepared to face the consequences of broken rules. And real obedience is all-embracing in its scope. I think Paul explains that very clearly when he says, obey your parents in what? In everything. In every single thing. Now we're going to talk about there's qualifications for that. But before Paul gets to the qualifications, he, he actually never brings up the qualifications, except for one, which is the reason why you obey this. The motivation is the second part of the command. Obey your parents in everything for, which means because, it pleases the Lord. God is your main authority, but he has placed a second authority, and your obedience to that authority means obeying Christ. So you obey your parents because you love Christ and you want to please Christ. That is your motivation. I think that obviously leads to a second application because, again, that's difficult. We don't want to ignore that. So this is the second application, okay? Trust God when you're angry with your parents. Trust God when you're angry with your parents. Keep in mind... 
that obey your parents in everything does not mean your parents are right about everything. That is not the assumption. The only perfect authority in your life is Jesus Christ. That's it. But because you obey the perfect authority of Christ, you believe his plan is perfect, and therefore you obey your parents. But because they're not perfect, and because they are not going to give you commands that you are often going to want to follow, you are going to be tempted to go against their plan. And when you do that, there's two things you have to go back to. And the first one is this. God has a plan. God has a plan. Here's something I'm going to repeat many times tonight. You are not your parent's child by accident. You are not your parent's child by accident. Nobody is. So his command is not just generic. It is very specific for you. I think everybody knows, or many of us probably know, the fifth commandment. What is the fifth of the Ten Commandments that has to do with your parents? Somebody yell it out. Honor your father and mother. Yes, honor your father and mother. Now let me ask you a question. Does anybody know what comes right after that sentence? Honor your mother and father. You guys can fight for it. We're talking loud. <laughs> Very good. So what is the logic going on in the Ten Commandments? I don't know if you heard that. He says, honor your mother and father and uh Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So this is the logic. God cares for you, has a plan for you. The ultimate fulfillment of that plan is being with God. And the path to being with your God is what? You accept another gift first, which is your parents. Your parents are a gift to you, a specific gift. You did not accidentally get your parents. They are part of God's plan to bless you, and obedience to them is how God's blessing comes to you. There is a logic that is here. God has given you your parents to love you, know you, and lead you as part of his plan for you. And you need to trust that plan when it's difficult. You need to trust that plan when things are not going your way. And what you can do about that is, this is the second part of this same thing. This is the second part of trusting God when you're angry, is be honest about your anger. Be honest about your anger. Ask yourself the question that you would never want to ask yourself, which is, why am I angry? When I want to disobey my parents, why am I angry? These are all the things I thought of when I was a teenager. These are all the reasons I would have thought, and here are the reasons I can tell myself now. I think I deserve an explanation even though God has never told me I'm owed an explanation. I think I know more than my parents, even though there is little evidence for me to believe I do know more than my parents. Here's a huge one. I think I should be trusted more. I think my parents should trust me more. But if I'm honest about what I'm going to use my freedom for, I should be trusted less. That's probably the hardest one that I'm going to name. I think my parents should trust me more, but if I'm honest, my parents should trust me less if they knew what I'm using my freedom for. I want to find sin, and my parents are trying to save me from my own sin. That's the reality of acknowledging that I want something from the world, and my parents want to give me God in my home. 
There are lots of reasons to be frustrated and angry and confused, but ultimately you have to go back to, I am not God. I do not know how life can be lived in reality, but God does. And fundamentally what he's told me is obedience to my parents is my fundamental command while I am living in my parents' household. And it's part of his plan to bless me. It's part of his plan to bless me. I think moving forward from here, I think we can learn a lot about this command if we actually get to the next command. And before I read it, I'll tell you the application that I think you can get from this next command. Application number three, consider life from your parents' perspective. Consider life from your parents' perspective. You're going to learn your parents' perspective in the very next verse. This is Colossians 3.21. Fathers, which in our context, you can very appropriately uh, think that's for parents, okay? Parents. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Here's a little context from you that a commentator gave me about the father's relationship to children in Paul's time. The father decided whether a newborn child would be raised or whether they would be exposed to die. They granted permission for his children to marry, decided who they could marry, and they could even force a divorce. Children were legally regarded as their parents' property, and therefore, they were little better than slaves. I know sometimes when you're frustrated, you think you're a slave to your parents, but back in Paul's day, children were actually slaves to their parents, okay? So when Paul makes a command for parents to ask how they are parenting, this is incredibly countercultural, incredibly countercultural. This is like husbands loving their wives. There is no expectation that a husband should love his wife, except God is giving you a command to love your wife. And this is parents being commanded on how they parent, which is this, don't provoke your children. Provoking means to stir someone up or to irritate them or to start an argument or to start a fight. It's a parent giving their child a reason to rebel against them. It's telling parents to try and avoid making their child bitter or resentful towards them. Because if they do, they might become discouraged. That's the second part of the command. A parent that provokes can cause a child to think that it's impossible to please their parents, and therefore they do not want to please their parents, and that could lead to something worse. This is what it could lead to. It could lead to their children walking away from Christ. That's what Paul is concerned about, that a child would walk away from Christ. The whole point is that parents are trying to point their children towards Christ, and they want to avoid any parenting that causes their children to walk away from Christ. They're trying to tell them that any truth that is coming to them through heavenly handedness or lack of gentleness could distort a picture of love and gentleness that a parent gives to a child. Now let me really quickly mention something. Because I think after reading that, it is so, so tempting to think something. And I thought this when I was your age. That's why I'm saying it. If you guys have Christian parents that you're angry with, if you have Christian parents that you're angry with, listen closely. It can be really easy to take this, go back to your parents and say, you are a Christian, you are discouraging me, you are making me hate Christ. And you need to ask yourself honestly if you would take that command and you would use it to manipulate your parents. God sees it. 
I can't tell you how many times I could see that verse and was waiting for the right time to tell my parents to manipulate them so I could leave the house and go and sin any way I wanted to. I've told you guys sometimes that I'm thankful for my parents. I love my parents. But my parents were very gracious to me, and it is only by the grace of God that I did not use my freedom to sin. It is only by the grace of God. This is the reality your parents are under. This is you considering your parents' perspective. And this is especially for you guys who have Christian parents who you're frustrated with. Your parents' greatest hope is for you to know Christ. And your parents' greatest fear is that you would be away from Christ and be in hell. And I think there's many of you who have never, ever considered how terrifying that is. And if you understand how frightening that would be, it makes sense that your parents' fear might push them to be a little less gentle and a little more heavy-handed than you would want them to be. But you're never going to understand that if you're living in your perspective and not understanding your parents' perspective, which is they are terrified that you would be in hell. I can only picture that thinking about you guys. I can't even imagine what that would be like as a parent. But if you understand that, if you learn that, you are going to learn so much more about the grace that God has given you through your parents. I'm assuming none of you guys probably watch the news very much, but your parents do. And your parents are living in a time right now where society is doing absolutely everything to destroy what the family is and to take you away from your parents. Society is doing everything they can right now to tell you guys that your parents can't teach you stuff and they can't provide for you what this culture can provide for you. Education is being redesigned to belittle them and the government is threatening them to take you away from them in more ways than you can imagine. And they know that that's the path that this culture takes you and leads you to hell. And I know that I'm raising my voice a little bit because I really, really want you guys to understand that this society is very, very good at covering up the fact that more teenagers are depressed, feel valueless, and are suicidal. And a massive reason why is because they are separating you from your parents. That is a huge reason why. Statistics prove that, data prove that, and people I've met prove that. And people I know who have met other people have also proven that. If you really want to understand how serious this is, read 2 Timothy, chapter two, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. There's a long list of sins that are like, these are the sins that mean the end of the world is coming, and one of them is disobeying your parents. It's like the worst sins you can imagine, and then disobeying your parents. It is end-of-the-world-level sin. So again, consider your parents' perspective. Consider this. This is what, uh, this is what one parent said. That's what the world is trying to do against you. And now this is your parents' job while the world is trying to do that. This is a quote from a pastor named uh, James Montgomery Boyce. He's a great pastor. He said this, the parent's job is to stand as God in relationship to a child. Now listen, that's not your parent being God. That's your parent representing God. They're like your introduction between you and God. They're your first impression of who God is and what God deserves. And then he continues the quote. To teach a child to obey the parent is to teach the child to obey God. To allow the child to defy and disobey the parent is to teach the child to defy and disobey God with all the obvious consequences. So take the first thing about the culture and take the second 
thing, which is your parents' job. Now put them together. What you should realize is that you have an easy job and your parents have an impossibly difficult job, okay? Your parents have to lead you, make their love obvious to you, try and provide the best for you, try to make a path towards success and happiness for you, explain the seriousness of sin to you, and all the while, your natural tendency is to ignore them, disobey them, and undervalue them. So who has the difficult job? It's not you. And I'm not saying that because I want to be heavy-handed, okay? I'm saying that because I want you to understand this next point. There is so much grace given to you. There is so much grace given to you. This is the fourth application. Learn grace as your parents practice parenting. Learn grace as your parents practice parenting. You notice that second part? Practice parenting. Practice parenting, which is this. Both you and your parents as Christians need grace, more grace, and nothing but grace. Your parents are living in a reality where they are scared for the salvation of your soul, but they love Jesus and need to trust your salvation in Jesus' hands. And all the while, they have a very high calling for what it means to be a Christian parent, which is represent Christ to you. And your job is not to make that difficult. Your job is not to make that difficult. And it's because of this. God cares about you. God cares about you having assurance that you believe the gospel. Because the gospel is everything. This is a quote from a pastor named Tim Challies. The gospel assures children that they can joyfully obey their parents. And the gospel gives them the motivation to actually do it. This is why one of the very first evidences of a child's conversion is obedience to mom and dad. You know what's the first question that the elders asked when three of you guys got baptized? Is if you obey your parents. It's a big factor. It is probably the biggest factor that's going to prove to the world that you actually believe the gospel because it's how you believe and obey the gospel where you are right now. That's not a threat. That is simply recognizing the grace of God in the best or in the worst of situations and recognizing that you can trust God and therefore obey him. And all the while, here's the reality for you as a child. You're a sinner and your parents are sinners. Your parents are sinners. And listen, if your parent is a Christian, they know they're a sinner, even if they don't tell you. They know they're a sinner. And that means that they don't have perfect parenting skills, okay? They don't just fail, they fail a lot, okay? Sometimes you notice it, sometimes you don't notice it. That doesn't change the command. It means you have the best environment in the world to practice the most important thing you need to practice, which is grace. If you recognize the grace of God giving to you, two things will happen. Number one, you will be gracious to your parents when they fail. You will be gracious to your parents as they practice, as they figure out what's right and wrong, as they figure out how much discipline is too much and how much discipline isn't enough. You will be gracious with your parents. And number two, you will realize how gracious your parents are to you. It was amazing growing up and looking back on how many times I should have been punished so much worse than I did. And sometimes when I was punished more difficultly than I did. But you know what? It was about 
10 times as many ways that I could have been punished that I didn't because my parents were gracious to me. They were figuring it out. My parents had five children. They had to figure out a different way to parent every single one of them because we were incredibly different. Some of you guys have way more than that in your family. Some of you guys are only children, but either way, your parents have to figure out how to parent you specifically. And that's difficult because you're changing a lot. And right now you are changing a lot. And your parents are adjusting to try and make the gospel more beautiful to you all the time, all the time. And therefore, it's important to recognize the kind of grace that you have. Some of you find grace difficult because you think you couldn't learn anything from your parents. And the one kind of thing I would tell you is you are a product of your parents, not just biologically, but just the fact that you've lived with your parents. You are going to become like them. I can't tell you how many friends I have right now who are having children, and all of them say the same thing. They'll do some random thing that seems like something they would normally do, and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm just like my dad. Oh my gosh, I'm just like my mom. Happens all the time. And that's not by accident, because you were designed to be in your family. I don't care how frustrated you are with your parents, you are going to become like them. So you might as well figure out what they're like now, so you figure out who you will be in the future. And if you actually talk to your parents, you actually want to learn from them, you'll figure out what you should not do. Because honestly, so many of your parents would be honest to you about their failures. They would be, if you ask them. They would be honest about the mistakes they made and the sticky situations they got into because they don't want you to get in those situations. And a lot of their failures were preordained by God to benefit you. Just think about that. A lot of the mistakes they made, a lot of the things they learned, they were all sovereignly preordained to benefit you. God was teaching you by teaching your parents who came before you so that they would teach you. And that should make you recognize the grace of God and want to live in it. But there's another thing. Some of you find grace difficult because your parents aren't believers. From an experiential level, I don't get it. I was fortunate that I grew up with Christian parents, but I have a lot of Christian friends who do not have Christian parents. Some of your parents who are Christians, they had parents who weren't Christians. And I can't understand on an individual level, on an experiential level, what that's like. But let me tell you a couple of things. Number one, from my heart to yours, you are not in your family by an accident. Fundamentally, if you are a Christian and your parent isn't a Christian, then you are the greatest gift that God could ever give your parents, ever because it's how God might deliver the gospel from you to them. And if you're a Christian, you understand that you have the greatest privilege in the entire world. And the way you do that isn't even coming to your parents and confronting them with their sin. It's not coming at them and hating them. It's not coming at them and explaining to them every difficulty they've made. It's this, obeying them. Because the more godly obedience that you show your parents the more God might use that to recognize how unworthy of obedience they might be. This is the third thing, though. Even if your parents are not believers, okay, they're made in the image of God. And that means they still love you, and they do know you, and they do want the best for you based on the information they have, okay? 
And I understand there are immediate follow-up questions to that. Like, what if there's abuse in my family? What if I don't think my parents love me? What if their plan seems against God's plan? What if a friend of mine won't let their, their parents won't let them go to church? Listen, those are good questions, okay? But we have one sermon. And if you have those questions, we want to talk about those because they're good questions. But listen, God still wants you to obey your parents. God still wants you out of dangerous situations, and he also wants you to do what you can where you're at to demonstrate the gospel as you can. Listen, the more dangerous situations there are or that your friends are going through as you talk to them, talk to us. God does not want you to be in a dangerous situation. But know this, the gospel can change anyone, absolutely anyone. You have two jobs if your parents are unbelievers. Number one, obey them, and number two, pray for them. Obey them and pray for them. If you have that opportunity, again, you might be the greatest gift your parents have ever received and could ever receive because the gospel is the greatest gift ever and God has packaged it for them in the form of someone they love, which is you. So this is the fifth thing. This is the last one and we'll end with this. Application number five, come to Christ by cooperating with your parents. Come to Christ by cooperating with your parents. This is the last quote I'll share with you. It's from a pastor named Sinclair Ferguson. He's a great pastor. He said this, one of the most wonderful things in the world, I often think, is for a teenage Christian, boy or girl, who because he or she is devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, will honor his dad or his mom no matter what his friends may say or think. Isn't it amazing that all you need to do to stick out as a great witness for Jesus Christ is something as simple as committing yourself in heartfelt devotion to love and honor your parents? And listen, he is right. He is so right. One of the simplest and most essential ways that you can love Jesus Christ is obeying your parents. And the beautiful thing is that that is incredibly countercultural. That demonstrates the love of Christ to your parents. It demonstrates the love of Christ to the world. And it demonstrates that you have an assurance that no matter who your parents are, a believer or unbeliever, you have an opportunity to love and honor Christ by obeying them. You are not in your parents' family by an accident. I think there are lots of specifics going into this, but the reason that I'm phrasing that application, come to Christ by cooperating with your parents, is for you to always recognize your parents are not going to be the ones to give you a reason to obey. It's Jesus that gives you a reason to obey. If you love Jesus Christ first, if your fundamental motivation is to live in the grace of the gospel, right, recognizing how beautiful and amazing it is, you know that obedience to Christ won't save you. And you know you're still going to be disobedient to your parents in many circumstances, but your heart's desire is to love and obey them because you love and obey Christ. And God has promised that he will give us the grace to be better and more devoted to that as we practice it. As you go closer with your parents, no matter how far you are apart from them right now, the more you go towards Christ, the more you will see yourself walking towards your parents and demonstrating the love of Christ to them as they, for many of you, demonstrate the love of Christ to you. 
And that helps make the beauty of Christ's coming kingdom so much brighter and so much better to us and helps us recognize how amazing it is to be a Christian. So let's pray, and then we'll talk together about these things. Father, this is a straightforward command, but it is simple by no means. Father, I know even now as someone who's independent from my family, someone who has my own family, it is difficult. It is difficult to obey even the best of parents. There can be reasons, there can be circumstances, there can be genuine guilt and blame. But Lord, we are Christians and we have to own up to our own sin. We have to own up to the fact that we love rebellion, we love disobedience, and we love our sin. But we don't need to. Because you have freed us from all of those things. You have freely offered us freedom from sin and relationship with you at the cost of your own son. Your son died that we might live for him. We might live the greatest existence that could possibly be known to a human being because we have Christ. Because that, Lord, we want you to reveal to us the plan that you have through our parents. We want to understand that when we don't understand them or we don't trust their plan or it's too difficult to understand why we should obey certain commands, Lord, that make no sense to us, we trust you. You have a plan. We understand that if our parents lead us to sin, that we need to leave that because we trust you before our parents. But in the daily acts of life, as our parents obey us to do things that just seem meaningless or just seem empty or we just don't want to do them, that we love you enough to stop our selfishness and turn to you because you do love us, you do care for us, and therefore we obey your commands. Lord, we cannot do this. We cannot do this unless you give us the ability to do this. We cannot trust your plan unless you reveal to our hearts the beauty of the gospel. So please help us do that because we want to honor you and we want to live lives for your glory. Please help us, Lord. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Guys, I know there's way more things on this topic to talk about, and I already talked for a long time on it. So if you have questions, ask them in your small groups now, and then ask them to me if you have an opportunity, if you want to, okay? Um, I don't know the whole Bible. I don't have perfect experience, um, but I do want to help you, and your leaders want to help you. So if you have questions about this, talk to us, okay? We love you. We love your parents. We don't plan on, like, telling on you. <laughs> You know, we're not out to get you. We're here to help you and help you see Christ, and we'll do anything to make that possible. So if you have questions, ask them. Here's two questions that you can ask in your small groups, okay? So if you have at least one person in your small group, write these things down. Very simple. You can probably remember. Number one, what does obedience mean? What does obedience mean? Okay? First question, what does obedience mean? This is a child to a parent. What does obedience mean? And number two, how can I obey better? How can I, insert name here, obey better? And part of that is just asking the question, why? Why do I obey? Every time you are following a command, you have to ask yourself the motivation. Why am I obeying? Okay, those are the two questions. What is obedience and how do I obey? 
So you guys are gonna break off into groups. Uh, Jamie has the high school girls, you guys are up there. McKenna and Cynthia has the junior high girls, you guys are in there. High school boys are in the room. And you're with me, and Kevin and Josh have the junior high boys and you guys are up there. Thank you guys. <laughs>